Good morning, everyone. And welcome on this, let me be a little sarcastic for a second, this gorgeous winter day, right? I was told when we moved to Georgia, you don't get weather like this. I thought, I thought it stayed warmer, a mild temperate climate. I've got to have my hoodie on all the time in these things, but I am so impressed to see all of you out this morning in person. I wasn't sure what to expect this morning, and this is impressive. And so whether you're here in person or on the live stream, we want to welcome you this morning to Lake Oconee Presbyterian Church. My name is Jeff Birch, and I'm the pastor here at Lake Oconee, and we truly are thrilled to worship together, to come in out of the cold, to have our hearts melted by the love of Jesus Christ, the warmth of the gospel, and to worship and praise his name together. If you're visiting with us this morning, we offer a very warm welcome to you. We hope you got a visitor's packet uh, when you came in. And then also, if all of you would fill out the friendship pad. So if you're on the end of a row, the end of an aisle, get it started, pass it down to your friend and fill them out. And we would greatly appreciate that. Let me share a couple things going on in the life of the church. Uh, in a few moments during our worship service, we are going to be installing the new members of our Women's Ministry Council. And what I want to do at this point is just give uh, recognition to those that will be stepping off the council, and that's namely Brenda Roberts, Jackie Barnett, Linda Martin, and Donna Jean Kendall. And we are grateful for their service unto the Lord and want to say thank you to them. And so during the service, we will be calling up the new members of the Women's Council. Next Sunday, after this 1030 service, we have a called congregational meeting. The purpose of that meeting is to elect officers for elder and deacon. And so we want to encourage you, uh, if you can, to stay for that. It should be a fairly brief meeting, but it's a very important meeting. And so we want to call your attention to that. We started our new beginnings this morning with reopening Sunday school, both with children and with youth and with adults. And I think even in spite of the weather, we had a great start. I'm very, very encouraged by our start in Sunday school. And let me share something. We are looking also to man the nursery with volunteers. And so we want to encourage, if you are, you've been seeing videos about this, reading emails about this, we want to have this manned by volunteers. So if you're interested in serving, we have a sign-up sheet today that's out on the table in the narthex. After the service, Tommy Evans, who's our education elder, he will be out there, and he, you can ask him any questions. What we have is the dates, and you just sign up for that. The more people sign up, the less often you have to do it. And so we would encourage you to participate in that. And so those are some of the things that are going on in the life of the church. And so now let's prepare our hearts for worship as the prelude is played.
Our call to worship this morning is from Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Father, we give thanks to you and praise your most glorious name. Glory to God in the highest and peace to those who are on the earth. We do bless you and all that is within us. We bless your holy name. And Lord, we pray in this time that by being together, by worshiping you, it would enable us to forget not all your benefits, to be more aware of your forgiveness, healing, redemption, and how you crown us with steadfast love and mercy, how you are committed to us. Lord, we praise you for who you are, and we come together to worship you in spirit and in truth. And so now we invoke your great name to join with us that we may glorify and magnify you through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Let's stand together and sing, O Worship the King. reading is two different passages, both found in the book of Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9, and chapter 7, verses 6 through 9. Friends, hear the word of the Lord. Deuteronomy 6, hear, O Israel, 
The Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit down in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And now from Deuteronomy chapter 7. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. Out of all the peoples who were on the face of the earth, it was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. For you were the fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know, therefore, that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. And isn't it striking? Think about this. Where are the Israelites in context? They are in the wilderness. They have been redeemed from slavery, brought out with a powerful hand of the Lord, and they're brought, they've received the law, and they've been brought into the wilderness on the verge of going into the promised land. This is the story of the Exodus. And isn't it interesting that the instruction from Deuteronomy chapter 6, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And after we are told to love the Lord your God, think about what is to sustain them. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. We are to be immersed in the Scriptures. It is the Scriptures that reveal to us the heart of God. That's the write the Scriptures on your heart. Tie them on your doorposts. Speak of them when you're standing, when you're sitting, when you're eating together, when you're walking. In other words, it's, if I could paraphrase this, basically, as you do life, let the Word of God be what shapes and controls you. I think that may be a good motto, vision statement for our women's ministry, that the women would be helping each other be shaped and have their lives shaped by the story of God in the scriptures. I'd like to call the following women forward, and I guess since I'm standing here, you can just come down here. I think you'll still, I'm tiny, but you can still see me, I think. So Lynn Folks is our new president of the women's ministry. Sue Burmeister is the incoming vice president. So here, I like the titles, it's fancy. President Lynn, VP Sue, here we go. Renee Benzer, I have it written down here, you're the secretary. I hope, I hope that sounded familiar to her. <laughs> Carol Johansson, you have a big job, you count the money. Be nice to Carol. And Karen Tepper is the spiritual growth director. 
And so, ladies, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to ask you several questions, and then I'm going to pose some questions to the women of the church and then a question to the congregation as a whole. And so if you affirm this, answer by saying, I do. Do you believe the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments to be the Word of God, the only infallible rule of faith and practice? And do you have an understanding of the function and responsibilities of the office to which you have been elected? And do you promise to faithfully perform all the duties of this office as unto the Lord? Presence, your prayers, and your physical and mental energies. And to the women of the church, do you gratefully acknowledge the willingness of these women to serve you and Lake Oconee Presbyterian Church in their elected capacities? I should have given instructions. Say we do. <laughs> and this one... Answer, see, cheat sheet. Say, we will if you affirm this. Will you support these officers with your cooperation, encouraging words, and prayers? I like that. I have to admit, when I looked at that this week, I said, I really like encouraging words. We need to put that in all of our vows to different things. And to the congregation of Lake Oconee Presbyterian Church, if you agree with this, say, we will. Will you support and encourage the ministry of the women of the church? And so now, I declare that these women have been duly elected and installed as women's ministry officers of Lake Oconee Presbyterian Church. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, what a joyful occasion that this is. And we thank you for the women who've served in the past and the women who've committed to serve in the upcoming year. Lord, we ask that you would strengthen their hands and their hearts, enable them to do the work to which you've called them, to encourage one another, to lead, to shape one another by the story of God and the gospel. Lord, we pray that the women's ministry would grow we pray, Father, for their spiritual growth, their physical growth, their numerical growth. We ask that you would be with them and that they would know that they do this work unto you by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and for your glory. We give you thanks for each one of these women. Thank you for their service. And we ask that you would bless their year ahead. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Standing together and singing 10,000 Reasons.
may be seated. Let's spend time now in a time of prayer, and we will utilize the Lord's Prayer that we will recite in unison, and then I will lead us in a pastoral prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Lord, we thank you so much that you are our strength, you are our rock, you are our help, you are our fortress, and you are a strong deliverer. Teach us to look to you for all things. We praise you for your great love. We praise you for your resolution to keep us, to never lose us. We thank you for your covenantal commitment to us. Thank you that you relate to us by means of a covenant so that you are our God and we are your treasured possession, your very own people. So, Father, we pray this morning for the people of God. We ask that you would be with all of us, those who are here, those who are watching on the live stream, those who are traveling, those who are facing difficult times, those who are enjoying joyful times. We ask, Father, that we would all know and recognize our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. We pray for the ministry of the church. We thank you, Father that we have had the privilege this morning of installing the women for their posts and their calling on the Women's Ministry Council, and we ask your continued blessing upon them. We ask, Father, that you give us great wisdom as we elect next Sunday officers as elders and deacons to shepherd and to care for and to minister to the church of Jesus Christ. And we pray for the opening of Sunday school. And we pray for the nursery ministry. We pray, Father, that we would be known as a church that loves our children and youth and families. And that you would be so kind to bless us with more families. We want to see our precious faith passed on to the next generations. We ask, Father, that you would help us to be immersed in the Word of God. And as we approach your word, you through your word, in just a few moments, we ask, Father, that you would give us ears to hear. We thank you for this opportunity to worship. We pray in all of these things that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven, that we would abide in you, be strengthened by you. Lord, thank you for this time of communion with you. We give you thanks we continue to bless the Lord, O oh my soul, bless your holy name, we pray through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.
You know, I don't believe in New Year's resolutions. I don't like that. But in a sense, I feel like if we were to resolve upon anything the choir just sang for us, what we should resolve to, to come to Jesus, to fly to Jesus, to dance for Jesus, to cry to Jesus, to basically collapse our entire lives on to Jesus Christ. Amy, choir, thank you. You led me in worship, and I'm grateful for that. I also, I don't do this often, but I want to wish a happy anniversary. Susan and Tom, 50 years? That one I think is a milestone. I think we should... I know Wes and Valerie celebrate an anniversary. I think tomorrow if I have that. So wish a happy anniversary there. And so we're grateful. It's fun to do. And you might be going, this doesn't seem like worship. I don't know. We're told to... I remember I said encouraging words. We're told to encourage each other. And so part of what we do, it's why we come to worship together. It's part of body life. And as part of body life, what is the statue of limitations in terms of celebrating UGA's national championship? Sorry, Mike. My, my, hang it, close your ears for the next, you know, one minute or, or so if you need. I don't know if there's a statue of limitations. I just want you to notice something. I've lived here now, Evie and I have been here maybe eight months And since we've been here, just saying, the Braves won the World Series. UGA wins its first national championship in 41 years. Just just saying, you know. I make no, no, sorry, Rush, no, no guarantees for the Falcons. I'm not sure what, you know. And the Hawks are not having a very good year either. Friends, we're continuing to look at the book of Romans. We're in chapter 5. We're looking this morning at Romans chapter 5, verses 6 to 11. So if you have Bibles, I'd invite you to turn, and let's pray as we approach the Word of God. Father, thank you for speaking to us. I think sometimes we look at the Scriptures too academically, and we forget that this is your love letter to us, that this is you revealing not just knowledge about you, but you revealing yourself you sharing your heart, your will, your mission, your agenda, who you are and what you have come to do. And so, Father, we approach your word not simply academically, but to worship you, to see your heart and to praise your glorious name. I pray that our hope would be renewed, that our lives would be strengthened, that our praise would be deepened, that our joy would be heightened. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would teach us, comfort us, challenge us, convict us. What an adventure. What are you going to do as we encounter you through your word? Lord, we praise you and love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, picking up at verse 6 of Romans chapter 5, Paul writes, for while we were still weak, you might want to underline that, while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, Shall we be saved by his life? 
More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Friends, this is the word of the Lord given by the triune God of love because he loves us. You all know that outside the Bible, my favorite novel is The Lord of the Rings. This great journey of the company of the fellowship of the ring made up of elves and dwarves and hobbits and men. And in one part of this, here comes the company of them. They're on their journey. They're traveling through the great wilderness. And they enter the ancient realm of the elves that is known as Lorien. And one of the company, he was a man. His name was Boromir. He's apprehensive. He's nervous about entering this unknown, dangerous, unpredictable land. And he's having a conversation with his fellow human, a man by the name of Aragorn. And Boromir says to Aragorn, but of that perilous land we have heard in our land, Gondor, and it is said that few come out who once go in. And of that few, none have escaped unscathed. And Aragorn replies to him, say not unscathed, but if you say unchanged, then maybe you will speak the truth. Now, an encounter with God's love is like that and much more. It will never leave you unchanged. Maybe that's why so many of us do the very Christian things. We read our Bible. We come to worship. We go to Bible study. We do that. But to actually, personally encounter the living God, to meet God, to know Him, to do what the choir just sang, to cry to Jesus, to pour out your heart to Jesus, to collapse upon Jesus, to dance for Jesus, to be vulnerable before Jesus. Not just intellectually, but to be gripped and captured by His love, to embrace His love, and to be embraced by His love. We avoid that. Because deep down, and I'm challenging us to be honest with ourselves. Deep down, we do not want to be changed. We like how life is. Safe. Comfortable. Familiar. In control. Nothing unpredictable. And to come before the living God, think about what the book of Hebrews says about the word of God. It is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It is alive and it is piercing us right at this very moment. And do we really want that? See, when we think of love, we think usually of only unicorns and rainbows, puppies and kittens, warm fuzzies. We come with our own ideas about what love is. We don't see love biblically as an all-conquering, transforming power that has the power to change us and promises to change us. We do not see love as a conquering power. See, verse 5, and I have to tie this in, where we left off at the end of last week and where we're moving into the passage this morning, verse 5 ended with saying, God's love. So this power, Paul writes, has been poured into our hearts, existentially and realistically 
given to us through our union with Jesus Christ. God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. In other words, when you become a Christian, you not only have a legal relationship with Him, you're legally justified, you are legally forgiven, you are legally declared righteous, but you have a subjective experience of Him. And that makes Christians, and especially Reformed Presbyterian Christians, very nervous. We're going, "Uh uh-oh, pastor, where are you going? But look at the text. I am bound by the Word of God to be faithful to the text. God's love has been poured where? Into our hearts. That means we experience it, we know it, and our love for God is fueled by His love for us. That's why in 1 John chapter 4 it says, we love because He first loved us. So His love is poured into our hearts, and that allows us and empowers us and fuels us to love Him and each other in return. And that's not just a legal thing, that's an experiential thing. That is a real thing. So in other words, when you become a Christian, you get a subjective experience of God's love. Now verse 6 begins, look at verse 6, it begins with the word for. It says for, so immediately upon, God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us for, and that word for shows that this passage, verses 6 to 11, is very closely connected to what preceded it, namely verses 1 through 5. Thus, because of the work of Jesus Christ, we have hope. And hope is a living reality for us. Hope and love are experiential realities for the Christian. So the flow of thought of this entire passage, verses 1 through 11, is that verses 1 through 5 that I spoke on last week is the reality of our living hope. And now verses 6 through 11 gives us the ground of that hope. In other words, why we have a living hope and how does that living hope shape us? In other words, how are we shaped by the gospel? And in this text, we see the ground of our living hope in two ways in these verses. We're shaped by the gospel because of God's benevolent grace and because of God's comprehensive grace. God's benevolent grace and God's comprehensive grace. Look with me at the first part of this passage, verses 6 through 8, and God's benevolent grace. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Verse 6 begins, for while we were still weak, Christ died for the ungodly. Notice this. Before we made any movement towards him. Doesn't say, when you got your act together and started coming back to church and attended four Bible studies and witnessed to 12 people during the week, and forget tithing, you gave 40% of your income because you did all of this stuff, No, it doesn't say that. It says while you were still weak, while you were still ungodly, before you did not make any movement towards God. In other words, his love is a prior love. He loved you while you were like Jonah of the Old Testament, 
saying, how far away from God can I possibly get? God says, go west, and I'm running east as fast as I can. While we were still weak, while we were still ungodly, Thomas Schreiner in his commentary says, Christ did not die for sinners because he detected in them any inclination toward God or a desire to end the enmity toward God. He died to overcome the enmity and hostility of the ungodly toward God. Notice the words Paul uses to describe us. Weak, ungodly, sinners, enemies. This is who we are. Morally and spiritually weak. This is not something I think you're going to see, you know, I don't think we're going to see this kind of on a Tony Robbins, Zig Zig, you know, one of those, this is not self, can you imagine if I let off, you know, I'm giving a seminar. Come to Jeff's seminar. Who's invited? The weak, the ungodly, the morally impure, the sinners. Christ died for the ungodly. We've got to realize it is only to the degree that we see who we are apart from Christ, that we see who we are apart from grace, that we will be utterly thunderstruck by the enormity and benevolence of God's grace and be shaped by the gospel. Tim Keller preached a sermon on Deuteronomy chapter 7, and listen to what he said in terms of this. He says, God is saying you would never have a relationship with me on your own. You would never have achieved it. The only reason you have a relationship with me is because I chose you. There's nothing in you that's better. There's nothing in you that's different. The reason we have a relationship is I simply chose you. That's radically humbling. And that might be something we're objecting to. We want to say we chose God. We want to say we moved towards God. Do you know why? Because that keeps us in control. But the scriptures teach us while we were still weak, while we were immoral, while we made zero movement towards God, God condescended, God came down, God made himself vulnerable. This is all about the enormity and the benevolence of God's grace. Verse 6 says that at the right time, and Paul here is alluding to Galatians Chapter 4, verse 4, when he says, When the time had fully come, God sent his Son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under law, that we might receive the full rights of sons. See, at the right time means when the time was right, when it was ripe, it had come to fruition. At the perfect time, God moved in. God came into our neighborhood. God's plan for the fulfillment of his promises were becoming actualized in Christ. And if that weren't radical enough, look with me at verse 8, where it says that God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, in other words, while we didn't have our act together, Christ died for us. This is why I am convinced that if we want to evangelize our community, we want to proclaim Christ and do outreach to our community we actually have to be a safe place for them to belong before they believe. If we expect that they're going to believe and have their act together and have everything shaped up and know all the, the culture of the church and how we go about doing things and all. Have you ever been to churches before? We're kind of a strange lot. You know, you kind of go and it's you stand, you sit, 
then these guys come forward and they do different things and, you know, we sing and we have people up front and we do, you know, imagine if you knew nothing about the culture of the church. Just put yourself in people's shoes for a second. And if you knew nothing about the culture of the church, it can be an intimidating thing. And then we all of a sudden go, and you have to believe. You think maybe we get the order a little bit backwards that we should be offering a safe place to belong. Now, I'm not talking about whether we challenge or not people's beliefs because, of course, the goal is to proclaim Christ, that they would come to know Christ as Savior. But I want us to be faithful to the biblical text. While we were still sinners, while we were still mired in our rebellion against God, while we were turned away from God, while we were running as fast as we can away from God, God moved for us to give us a place of belonging. Christ died for us. Earlier in the service, I read from Deuteronomy chapter 7. See, and it says, while we were still weak. I want you to think about something. Why did God love us? Why did God... Listen to the passage from Deuteronomy chapter 7 again. It says, for you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. Out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth, it was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. For you were the fewest of all the peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. There is absolutely nothing behind the love. God loves you because he loves you. See, there can't be. If we're still weak, we're still ungodly, we're still sinful, we're still enemies, it has to be only God's choice to love us. There is nothing behind the love. He loves us because he loves us. And that takes us completely out of control. See, we like, to use C.S. Lewis's term, to put God in the dock, and he owes us. But if he chose us and there's nothing behind the love, then guess what? We're in the dock. And he can ask anything of us. Grace takes us out of control. That's one of the reasons we struggle with it. Tim Keller, again in his sermon on this passage, says, do you see what he's saying? God didn't love you because you were greater. God didn't love you because you were smarter. God didn't love you because you were better. God didn't love you because you were more special. He loved you just because he loved you. And then he gave the following illustration. He said, I want you to imagine, and he's picking on the, the guys here for a second. So guys, listen up. He says, I want you to imagine your wife comes to you, and she asks you, honey, do you love me? And then she asks, why do you love me? And then this husband, very foolishly, I might add, responds, well, I've calculated it up in the calculator, and it's because, let's see, you're very good looking, you help me with my career, you are a great companion, person of high moral character, you're good with people, you are accomplished, you have succeeded at everything you've done, and the wife says, and there's the sofa, 
There's the doghouse. Dr. Keller says, because you're not loving her for her. You're loving her for some product, some benefit she gives to you. Now, I want you to think about something. How do we benefit God? Do you think God looks at the church with all of its flaws, all of its hypocrisies, all of our mess, and he says, yeah, they're adding so much to me. They're just such huge, I chose them because they're so useful to me. Do you think God needs us in some way? We have way too high an opinion of ourselves. We are way too self-important. See, God shows his love for us. And it means God makes it real, makes it tangible, manifests it. He says, if you want to see my love, don't look at answered prayer. Don't look at circumstances. Don't look at your life. Don't look at what other people get. Christ shows his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He loved us for us. That's it. Full stop. He loved us because he loved us. Verse 9 picks up. Now look at God's comprehensive grace because it continues on. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that. God's grace upon grace upon grace. More than that. We also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. See, God's comprehensive grace now brings us again to the theme of hope. Notice the word since in verse 9. Since indicates that he is drawing a conclusion. Since we have now been justified by his blood. Since God has demonstrated his love for us. It follows then that we will be saved from the wrath of God. We will be safely preserved to the end. As Paul said to the Philippian church, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. The logic of this is simple. If Christ died for us while we were running headlong in the opposite direction, if Christ died for us while we were weak and sinful and rebellious, and enemies, doesn't it make sense that he will keep us, that he will preserve us, that he will save us to the very end? See, God's comprehensive grace, the fullness of grace, is, is emphasized in Paul's repetition of this much more in verses 9 and 10, and that more than that, he's saying, verse 10, he's telling us that we will be saved by Christ's life. That's referring to Christ's resurrection. Jesus was vindicated by his resurrection. What does all this mean? Let's try to get practical. What does this mean for us in terms of the reality and the ground of our living hope? What difference does this make in our day-to-day lives? To know we are safe, to know that we are saved from the wrath of God, that we are God's friends, that we are loved, that we are secure, that we are preserved What does it look like to be shaped by the gospel? In a nutshell, it looks like love. Hear, O Israel, 
The Lord your God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. See, let's be honest for a second. One of the greatest hindrances to love is fear. And fear is not always being what we might call scared or terrified. Fear has many forms. It involves being suspicious, having to always be right, protecting ourselves, needing to be in absolute control. This is a much bigger issue in our lives than we recognize and that we often give credit to. Listen to this text, this passage out of 1 John chapter 4. John writes, so we have come to know and believe the love that God has for us. Almost sounds like a parallel to Romans, doesn't it? We've come to know and embrace the love God has for us. God is love. You want to know about the character of God? There it is in a nutshell. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. And then he says, by this is love perfected, meaning made mature. Perfected doesn't mean no mistakes ever. It means made whole, reached its, in Greek, the telos, its purpose, its aim. That's what God is doing us. Love is moving to reach its aim, to conform us to the person of Jesus Christ, to make us, in C.S. Lewis's words, not nice people, but new people. By this, love reaches its telos so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, listen to this, as he is, so also are we in the world. That's a radical statement right there. As he is to us, we are to be to the world. What is he to us? Jesus Christ is broken. Jesus Christ is given. Jesus Christ is sacrificed for us. What are we to be for the world? We are to be broken for the world. We are to be given in service to the world. We are to sacrifice for the sake of the world. Because we are the body of Christ. See, Jesus right now is where? He's at the right hand of God the Father. He's in his resurrected, exalted, glorified state. He's not physically here on earth. What do people see of Jesus Christ on earth? They see us. As he is, so are we in the world. What do they What do the people out there see of the body of Christ? Do they see truth and love? Do they see justice and mercy? Do they see strength and courage on the one hand and tenderness and compassion on the other hand? This is all the multi-perspectival, all the various angles of love. Certainly not just unicorns and rainbows. And then listen to this. John writes, there is no fear in love, but perfect, mature, whole love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfect in love. There is no fear in love, which means if we don't love, that means when you don't listen to somebody, when you don't understand their viewpoint, their position, from their point of view, it has something to do with fear, because fear is what's hindering, and fear has to do with punishment. Now, we say punishment, that's kind of a strange, odd word. Punishment can take many forms. 
punishment might be not being loved in return, not being heard, fearing. Punishment could be you're out of control, being rejected, not being appreciated, not being respected, not being understood, not feeling appreciated. What is it that casts out this fear? Christ's love. Christ's love casts out. Christ's love expels. That's why abiding in Christ, abiding in love, is the energy, is the fuel for us loving God and loving people. The only thing that will change us. That's why verse 11 says, more than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We rejoice in God. That means God is our life. We say, I don't, do I desire appreciation? Do I desire respect? Do I desire to be accepted and not rejected? Yes, but I can look at that and go, if I have Christ's love, I don't need these other things. Do I desire them? And is it all right to desire them? Of course. But I don't have to have them. I have Christ's love. And Christ's love is enough. That's the psalmist. His love satisfies you with good things. That is the scriptures, the Lord is my portion forever. See, think about that functionally. Is the Lord really our portion? Are we saying, well, I need to have the Lord, but I also need to have my kids and grandkids respect me. I need to have the Lord, but portion, because what is a portion? Portion is what we're so gifted at, right? Saying that plate of food is just enough. That amount of wings are just the right amount of wings. I don't need a second helping. We deal with portions all the time. The Lord is my portion. He is all I ultimately and absolutely need. We rejoice in God. See, I want you to think about something. What does the Bible begin with? It's very easy and quite popular to say creation. Genesis 1, all about creation. Uh Uh-uh. What are the opening words of the Bible? In the beginning, God. Before creation, you have God, the character, the person of God. And how does God exist? He's triune, and he's love. He exists as a tri-personality, one God in three persons. And did you ever think, what was the Trinity doing before creation, and why did they create in the first place? If God is love deduce, reach backwards, if God is love, that means the Trinity was living a life of perfect love. The Father loving the Son, the Spirit loving the Father, the Son loving the Spirit. Perfect, deferential, other-centered, self-giving love. Beginning with Trinity, not creation, begins with the character of God, which is love. And why did God create? Not because he needed anything, but he created in order to share love. Because love has to express itself. Love has to give. Love is all about communion. And God had to create in order to be love and share himself with others. The sole reason God created you was to have union and communion with himself. That's why we were built. That's why we reflect his image. We were created for 
union and communion and fellowship for love. And that is what God in Christ has restored and is restoring. That is what Paul is referring to when he says, more than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. The goal of salvation is to restore the original plan of creation, which is love, to live with, abide in, be united to, and commune with the God of love, to grow in learning to live in love. Father, we thank you for your word, and we pray that we would grow and cultivate what it looks like to learn to live in love. How can we ever thank you enough for the Lord Jesus Christ? Who through his life and sacrificial death and resurrection has restored and is restoring us to the goal of humanity. Lord, help us as we leave this place to leave seeking to live in love. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together, close our service by singing, And Can It Be That I Should Gain?
friends, now receive the Lord's benediction. May the love of God the Father, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now, this week, and forevermore. Amen.